Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23, read with me verses 27 through 30. Here's the Lord speaking to the children of Israel. I will send my fear before thee. And this is speaking about when they were to go into the promised land. They weren't there yet. I will send my fear before thee and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come. And I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And I will send hornets before thee, which will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. These last two scriptures, this is what we're talking about today. We're doing a series. We started last Sunday. If you missed it, you can pull it up on the website of the YouTube channel and watch it. We're doing a series on the conflict, the struggle that we have as believers. The struggle is not to make it to heaven. The struggle is, as, as believers, to live this life that God has called us to and to take new ground in, in the Lord. There's a fullness of Christ. There's a fullness in Christ. And when we're saved, we're just new, newly saved. We're babes in Christ, but God wants us to grow. And in that growth, he allows us to go through struggles. He allows us to go through conflicts. There's a, we have an adversary. We have an opponent that is after us. Again, this is not a struggle in order to make it to heaven. This is a struggle to make it into the fullness of what we have in Christ. And here we're using this scripture today. And we're lightly using the example of Israel possessing the promised land. Now, reading here in Exodus was a was the Lord speaking about when you do get there. They weren't there at this time. But when you go into the promised land, I want to read verses 29 and 30 again. And when you're entering in, he says, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. This is a spiritual truth, amen, a spiritual truth. Uh, and here's the, here's the word for today and the thought for today is that the conflict and the struggle that we're in as believers is ongoing. The conflict and the struggles and the trials and tribulations and the rocky roads that we go through in life, that is ongoing. The conflict against, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 6, we read it last week, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Well, that's a different battle. That's not flesh and blood. That's not you firing a bullet and somebody else firing a bullet back at you, or you punching someone and trying to dodge their punch at your face. This is a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare. It is a conflict, and it is an ongoing conflict in the life of the believer. When is it going to end? When will it end? It's going to end when we see the Lord face to face. It's going to end when we see him, we'll be like him, says in 1 John chapter 3. We'll see him, we'll be like him. And the Bible says in Hebrews that there is a rest that remains for the people of God. It's the Sabbath rest. There's a rest coming where all these, you won't be tempted to sin anymore. Hallelujah. 
You won't be tempted to sin anymore. You won't be tired. Your body won't feel tired or sick or, or uh, some, nobody hurt your feelings or anything like that. Or it's going to be complete, but it's not complete yet. Our salvation is complete in one sense that we're saved. You're saved and you don't have to worry about today am I lost. I was saved yesterday. We don't live that way. We are, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. If you've given your life to Christ, you belong to him. But our str struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not to earn our way to heaven or earn our own righteousness. But our conflicts and wrestlings are in order to walk in the fullness of what God purchased us for when Jesus died. Now, I think a lot of times we forget that. I think a lot of times the church world forgets. We think lost, saved, that's it. But that's not it. Read the Bible. Read. There, there's a fullness that he wants us to take. Is that the most important thing? Yes. Without question. There's nothing that compares to so great salvation. There's nothing that compares or no important, more important decision than a man surrendering his life to Jesus Christ and being forever forgiven and cleansed and, and set apart unto God. But what about that life now, now that they are saved, now that you are saved? God has a fullness that is like it's out there in front of us. It's attainable. It is before us. And in order to reach the fullness that we have in Christ, God allows us to go through testings. You know it because you've experienced it. You also know it from the word of God. Amen. Our adversary, the devil, does not want us to walk in the fullness of Christ. I believe very much that the devil tries to keep lost people lost, right? The whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of them that believe not, right? Satan wants to keep lost people lost. But once a person is saved and gives their life to Christ, and it's sincere and it's genuine, the, Satan is not through with that individual. Satan still desires to battle to keep that person from walking in the fullness of what God has for them. And I've said it before, I kind of picture like Satan's saying, okay, you, you're going to heaven when you die, but you're not bringing anybody with you. He wants to intimidate us. He wants to shut us up. He wants to ruin our testimony to where we be a, have a bad testimony for the Lord and not be a good representation or an ambassador for Christ to the men around us. He wants to rob our joy. He wants to rob our peace. He wants to rob our strength. He wants to, to riddle our faith filled with holes to where our faith fails. We know that from the Bible, right? We know that from the word of God. We know in a real life example when Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan is desired to have you. We talked about it last week, that he may sift you as wheat. He wants to sift you. And I've talked about it. He wants to riddle your faith with so many holes that it collapses. But I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. We just sang about an advocate we have with the Lord Jesus. Amen. He's at the right hand of the Father praying for us. But don't think because you're saved, Satan is just in the rearview mirror somewhere. He'll go, he'll go mess with some other people now. Satan wants to stop believers from, from being bold in Christ. He wants to stop believers from being joyful in the Lord. He wants to stop believers from increasing in their knowledge of God, increasing in the knowledge of the word. Maybe God's going to call them to the ministry, call them to the mission field. He wants to keep you from all of that. And God says, no, I'm going to bring you into all that. And the way you're going to get there is you're going to fight the devil along the way. I've already won the victory 
but I'm going to put you in real situations to where that faith of yours is tested. It's tested and it's tried. Amen. And so there, why does the Lord do this? There's several reasons, but I would think one of the main reasons, according to the word of God, is that his overcoming life, which is a victorious life, might be manifest through the lives he has redeemed. It's not just Christ winning the victory on the cross, which he did. It's all glory to him. He did it. He single-handedly, his own right arm, got him the victory, the Bible says. But he lives in us now, and he wants that overcoming life that conquered the grave, okay, and conquered sin and death. He did it by himself. It was not possible, the Bible says, Peter says in Acts chapter 2, that death could hold the Lord down. It's not even possible. He rose from the dead the third day. But that same life, resurrection life, is in us. And the way it's manifest is when it faces right up against death. The light shines brightest when it's forced right up into a position with the darkness opposing it. And look how bright the light is. I didn't realize it was that bright. To this great darkness tried to, to overcome it, and it could not. That glorifies God. It's an overcoming life. It is his life in the life of his, his redeemed. It is a victorious life. He's already won the victory. The Lord's not trying to get the victory. He's won the victory. And he's given it to us and he's freely given to, it to us. But it, we walk it out, so to speak. We walk it out day by day. That this, this overcoming life of Christ might be displayed in the Bible says earthen vessels. You know what the earthen vessel is? It's, it's that vessel you have. It's the body, the physical body, which has frailties. There are people here that are hurt. There are people here in the back hurts. There are people here that are sick. There are people here that are just getting over something. There are people, we're all getting older. We're getting weaker. We're getting slower. Uh, at least I am. All, all these things happening. And, and yet God wants to show himself mighty through these earthen vessels. That same overcoming life, it's the life of Christ. Guess what? That no flesh should glory in his presence. None. I want to read this. We read it last week. If you're taking notes, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Paul says, always bearing about in the body, that's the earthen vessel, the dying of the Lord Jesus. That sounds so backwards, but he says we're bearing about in the body always the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So there's a reason he's already saved. By the time he's writing this, he's been saved for quite some time. He's not talking about being saved. He's talking about how, does the, how is the life of Christ going to be manifest? That means clearly displayed or shown forth. It's going to be shown forth in these earthly bodies as we're, we're living a crucified life, as we're living and Satan's buffeting us and the world's buffeting us and circumstances are buffeting us and our own flesh is pulling the other direction and God's pulling that way. And he's, the life of Christ rises up in us, so to speak, and manifests itself in himself. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. It's this amazing thing that this eternal God who is spirit, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is eternal God who is spirit, and 
not possible that he's held with death. He's Alpha and Omega. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This Christ is manifest in bodies that are decaying and perishing, or, you know, one day going to perish and decay. And, and he says it's, that's how he's manifest, is through these conflicts, through these struggles. And that's how God has chosen it to be. Again, Peter says, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. We would be, I would be a bad preacher and bad representative of, of the gospel and the word of God if, if I was to stand before you and say that you give your life to Jesus and everything's going to be a bed of roses. The Bible does not teach that. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. It is yours. And we're victorious in Christ and we're forgiven and cleansed. And we could go on and on about what is ours the moment we give our life to Jesus. Justified by his grace and so forth. But our life on this planet while we're still living as believers is buffeted. In other words, we're, 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 we face an adversary at every turn. Everywhere we turn. It could be our own flesh that didn't want to get out of bed this morning. It could be the governments and the powers that be in our country. It certainly is the devil himself as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may what devour. And Peter says, look, you resist, resist him steadfastly. How? In the faith. Knowing that these same afflictions are accomplished in your brothers that are in the world. Don't think it's strange. This is, this is norm. This is the norm. It's the way God's chosen it to be. But he says, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're going to face troubles. In this world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome, the, I've overcome the world. I will send you another comforter who's not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. He says, I will come unto you. So he comes. But this is how he's chosen it to be. God wants to show his victorious life that it's enough and more than enough for every situation. Every blow that death or the devil tries to bring to your faith, God meets it and surpasses it. Every blow that tries to strike fear to your heart, to say, I'll never tell anybody about Jesus. I'm scared to death to do that. The Lord meets it and overcomes it. Whatever it is, a sickness to your body. He said, maybe... Like me, there's been a few things in my life I've said, Lord, I can do just about anything, but don't, I, don't, I don't think I could ever go through such and such. Maybe you've said something like, and the Lord's let me go through such and such. And guess what? He was with me, and he brought me through. I never thought I could. I never wanted to. If there's anything, God, I'll do anything, but I can't do that. He sends me to do that. Not every time, but there are things like that. And he says, I'm with you. I'm going to take care of you. That every, every point where death and darkness wants to swallow up and unbelief and joylessness and all these things are anxiety, wants to engulf your Christian life. Can't take you to hell, but he can rob the, the fruit and the joy and the, the usefulness to the Lord and the, the, of walking with God in that power and that fullness. He wants to take that and God meets it and surpasses it. He's allowed it to be this way. He's allowed us to go through struggles. God is glorified through this. He has chosen, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the foolish things, the base things, the weak things. 
that no flesh again should glory in his presence. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. Wow, I wish the Lord had chosen some other way. That's what we might think. No, I'm refining you, but I'm refining you through the furnace of affliction. That's your refining fire. That is your fire. We're not literally going into a fire. We are going through the fire, so to speak, just in tribulations. I've chosen you in the furnace of affliction, but he's got a purpose in it. He is refining us. That's Old Testament scripture from Isaiah and New Testament where Peter says that when your faith is tried, it's going to come through to the praise and honor and glory of God. So it doesn't last forever. We need to remember that. When you're going through a trial and a long one, and you're going through a trial and a hard one, when you're going through day after day after trial or trials multiple, we, we need to be reminded of the word of God. We need to meditate on his word day and night. Amen? And be reminded this is not going to last forever. Faith will end in sight. The sickness will end in health. Amen? The weakness will end in strength and, and so forth. The, the rejection among people is going to end in acceptance and being welcomed into the presence of God and embraced by the Lord. These things are not forever. Amen? They're not forever, but the life of conflict and struggle, remember this, and we mentioned it last week, it's not depressing. Don't say, well, I guess I'm just going to grin and bear it. It's not depressing. It's not discouraging. It's not a life of defeat. God is doing something. He's doing something wonderful. And, and it, I just think of almost every area of life where you have worked for something. There was work that went into it before the reward. If it's a sport and you want to get better at it, nobody enjoys 5 a.m. workouts or whatever to get better, but they enjoy getting better. And, and at some point, all that preparation, they're going to be tested. At some point, all that you've put in, the running and the staying away from the Twinkies and, you know, pushing stuff away, at some point doing all that, you're, you're going to be tested. And, and a coach has prepared you for months, and now guess what? It's, it's time, and you're going to go out there. That, that is the way. That's just the way of life. We're prepared, and God builds us up here in church and feeds us and strengthens us in Sunday school and, and so forth. But then he sends us out there, and it is his intention to test us. Not that we fail, but he tests us to show, to show that power of God and that life of the Lord Jesus Christ greater than the death we're facing. Satan wants to make you doubt. He wants to make you despair. He makes to want you, makes, wants to make you quit. And God is bringing us on. Amen? But he is going to test that faith. Your faith will be tested. Amen? It is, it is God's way. But why is it progressive? That's how we started out. Why is the, why are the, the gaining new ground and growing and maturing? And why is it progressive and not all at once? Why does the Lord... Why does the Lord cause us to possess the land, as he put it, by little and little and not all at once? Why doesn't he just do it all at once, give us everything at once, and be done with it? In other words, give me, give me all the fullness, all the victory, the power, uh, the, the joy, the faith that can't be shaken. Give me all that at once and just be done with it. 
because God has a better plan. He has another way. It's not just the point of him giving us strength or peace or joy. It is the point of you and I possessing it and walking in it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, if God spared not his own son but offered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Everything that is of Jesus, when we give our life to the Lord, he freely has for you and for me. Everything that's in Christ is ours. But are we ready and able to walk in it? Am I, am I ready for it? Am I strengthened to a place where I can walk in it? I just want to read this uh, from 1 Corinthians. I'll read it myself. Now, all these things happen unto them, that's Israel, for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So when we talk about Israel possessing the promised land, that was a real people and a real land and real giants and real battles, the real Jordan River they had to cross and real boundaries to their promised land that God marked out. But spiritually, what can we learn from that? They're all written for our examples and for our admonition. And God gives the answer to this. It's an earthly example to a spiritual principle. The Lord says, I will not drive them out, he told the Israelites. I will not drive out your enemies in one year. He says, I will drive them out little by little until thou be increased. And to me, there's the, there's the answer. Why is it progressive? Why do we have to keep going through, through it? Why do we take a little new ground and then go through a struggle and take a little new ground and go through a struggle and our strength is faith in the little, our faith is strengthened a little more? We go through another struggle and we learn his peace that passes understanding a little bit more. We go through some more struggles and we lay hold on some joy that the world can't take away. Why is it that way? He says, I'm not going to drive them out all at once. And I'm, I'm going to drive them out from before you little by little until thou be increased. And there, to me, is the answer. That is the divine reason. And here it is simply this. There must be spiritual growth on our part. There must be spiritual growth and development, development on our part, part in order to possess it. It's not just him dumping every blessing and all the fullness of Christ at once. And we're like, you know, like some little, uh, little two-year-old kid. If you, you've seen uh, children, little young children at Christmas, they're almost overwhelmed. They'd rather play with the wrapping paper, you know, than the $200 gift that's in it. Uh, they're just overwhelmed. It's just too much for them. They can't possibly know how to use that toy or that uh, game or read that book or, or whatever. You know, they're not ready for it. It's theirs. It's freely theirs, but they're not ready to walk in it. They're not ready to walk in it. And so that is the case with us a lot of times. All the things of Christ are ours. They're freely ours in Christ. But it says in Ephesians 4.13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, that means a complete man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is he saying? He's speaking to believers. He's not telling them how to get saved. They're already saved. He's telling them that there's a growth and a maturity for the edifying of the saints, the building up. What? Until we all come to this fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. 
There's this fullness that's ahead of us, okay? And so the Lord Jesus absolutely won the victory. It's not a question of him winning the victory. It's not a question of it being given to us freely. It's a question or a matter of us being able to walk in it and possess it, so to speak. And so uh, God promised the victory. He told Joshua, there shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. That wasn't just for Joshua. That's for you and for me. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to forsake you all the days of your life. He says, I'm going to drive out the enemy before you, but I'm not doing it all in just one year. I'm going to do it little by little, little by little. Salvation is all at once. Growing and maturing in Christ is little by little. Sometimes we'll see it and it'll go a little faster than other times. Sometimes it might seem to slow down. Sometimes we're really going through a real deep working of God and it takes a lot longer. When we come through, we'll look back and we'll say, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you chose it to be that way. I'm going to just put myself in God's hands and let him handle it. Amen? He said he'll never fail us. He'll never leave us and so forth. It is a spiritual maturity that we need to possess in order, in, in, in attain to, so to speak, by the grace of God and by these trials and testings of our faith in order to possess the land that is freely ours. We have to grow. We have to mature. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, uh, he says, And brethren, I could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not strong meat, because you are not able to bear it. Even now you're not able to bear it. And I'm paraphrasing but he says, you're Christians, but I couldn't feed you with the meat of the word. I had to feed you and continue to feed you with the milk of the word. And even now you can't take meat. He's not complimenting them, by the way. They are his brothers in Christ. But he says, you're babes in Christ, so they're immature. Immature. It has nothing to do with age. It has to do with spiritual growth and maturity and attainment and stature. And God helps us. I always say this, and I believe it. I believe we can grow in the Lord, talking about spiritually grow in the Lord as fast as we want to. It has to do with our yielding to the Lord. As quickly as you'll yield to your life to Christ, and every time he shows you something in your life that's not yielded to Christ, you say, but Lord, I don't want to let go of these friends. Well, they don't, they're not Christians. They're, you're unequally yoked. They're not helping you. In fact, they're hindering you. And I don't want to let go of them. Well, then I'm, I'm stunting my growth. I'm stunting my growth. I'm going to stay right there for a time. That time depends on me. Because if that's what God has showed me, that I'm not yielded to him, that's going to be my hindrance. That's what I need to yield to the Lord. And as quickly as I'll yield and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Don't understand it, but yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, at every turn. That's how fast we're going to grow. He's saying, you're coming with me, son. Let's go. You give this up over here and you come with me. And we walk with God. And we yield to the Lord and we grow. We didn't even realize we were growing. But every time you yield something to God and say, yes, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done, we're going to grow. We're going to grow. So a lot of the struggles and the conflicts are, are to, to bring us to the place of yielding. But our wrestlings are against spiritual principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. Therefore, it takes one greater than those things to overcome, and that's Christ. As we walk with the Lord and overcome, he has made our possessing 
are possessing the land. He's made it contingent upon our spiritual growth. He's already won the victory. It's not a question of can we win the victory. Christ won it. He's won it over every enemy, every foe that you'll ever face. He's won it already, already past tense, done. He made a show of them openly, it says in Colossians chapter 2, having spoiled principalities and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. He's done that, and he's given it to you. But the question is not the victory. The question is me growing to where I can walk in it. He wants me to walk in it and grow. We might be asking God for new ground. I pray that you are, by the way. God, I want to I want to be used to lay hands on the sick and they recover. God, I want to be used with this great boldness to, to preach this gospel and not care who, who says what about it. I want to be able to publicly testify of you. God, I want to I have a deeper understanding of your word. These are good things, by the way. We might be asking for new ground, so to speak, new spiritual ground or power. And what God does in order to, to bring us to that is he wants to enlarge us. So picture, if Israel is this big and the promised land is this big, God wants to grow Israel to possess it. He wants to grow you. There is a big, full life in Christ. He wants to grow me to possess it and walk in it. And, and it's almost like by my growth, I've, I've possessed. He, he does it by putting us through trials, through exercises of our faith, which puts us in circumstances where we have to be dependent upon God. Well, I don't like that. Well, I know we don't like that. He puts us in circumstances and situations where it has to be God where you can't turn to anyone else or anything else. It has to be the Lord. And we, then we see him come through, so to speak, and it strengthens our faith. Amen? His life is manifest in us. Paul said, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth, raiseth the dead. We can't trust in ourselves. He puts us in circumstances and situations where it has to be the Lord. Are you in one now? Have you been in one where if God doesn't come through, you're done? That's a good place to be, by the way. That's a great place to be. That's a great place to be. I want to be where if God doesn't come through, I'm done. Because it's going to teach me he comes through. It also helps me not to trust in my flesh or anyone or anything else. I'm not looking to the government to bail me out. I'm looking, not looking at anything to help me. I'm looking to Jesus Christ the author, and the finisher of my faith. And so we want to possess new ground, and we should. I want, to, I want to be more useful to God. I want to know Jesus more than I do. I want my prayer time to be more deep and intimate than it has been up until this point. And God says, okay. And he puts us through some type of struggle. And, and we, he enlarges us. He enlarges our faith and our spiritual capacity I guess you would say to to occupy and almost as a result while I'm thinking about the Lord he's growing me and I look up and I wake up and I came through that trial and I'm possessing more territory and I didn't even realize it that struggle I was going through that was the purpose for it this life of struggles like one after the other that's the purpose of it that he would enlarge us and in so doing, guess what? We're possessing our faith is strengthened. We're possessing greater ground 
or more ground in the Lord. As we grow, we possess. I want to read this from Psalm 118. I called upon the Lord in distress, David said. The Lord answered me and he set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. So he says, I called upon the Lord when? In my distress. So he went through distress, a lot of them. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. So just picture Israel going from the Egypt where they were slaves and across the Red Sea and 40 years out in the wilderness, and then they're going to go into the promised land that God has for them. It's a big place. It was a large place. It was a good place. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. He says, I cried to the Lord in my distress. He answered me and set me in a large place. Large means, literally means to enlargement, open space, liberty. You know, when our enemy's pressing in, we feel constrained. You know, financial difficulties and this kind of difficulty and health difficulties and in the government and, and society. And, and it feels like we're, we're getting squeezed in. God delivers us and sets us in a large place. He allowed us to go through that. And we'll go through other ones as well. But he sets us in a large place that is a place of liberty, okay, enlargement and open space. So picture this. Picture Israel. What if God had, what if God had uh, just driven out all the Hittites, the Canaanites, you know, all the inhabitants of the land? There were giants there. There were uh, all types of walled cities like Jericho. There were, there were strong enemies. The, the spies that had come back years before said, oh, we're like little grasshoppers in their sight. The giants are there. And, and they have chariots of iron and we can't take them. God says, that, that's not the problem. I'm going to take care of the enemy. But they didn't believe, right? But what if God had said, I'm just, what if they just blew his wind, his breath, took every enemy out of the land, and then here's little Israel to come in. What if it had been one big empty land? That's probably how they would have wanted it. But he says the land would become desolate, is what it said in Exodus. If I, I'm not going to drive them out in one year lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against you. That's simply saying it would have been more trouble if he'd have just gotten them out. Why? Because it says until you be enlarged and you're able to possess it. They might could have been capable at that point with the number of people they had and so forth to occupy one little part, part of the promised land. It's a big promised land and it's theirs. He promised it to them and he gave it to them. The victories uh, over the enemies, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of your enemies. But the way I'm going to do it is little by little till you be enlarged and increase. Because if I don't, it's just one big desolate open land. The beasts of the field are going to be multiplied against you. I'm thinking actually wild animals and so forth, like in their homes and in their backyard and in their vineyards and so forth. They would have just multiplied more heartache, more fear, more trouble if he does it that way. He says, to you, till you be increased to possess the land. Amen? Till you be increased to possess the land. It was God's will for them to go out and fight these individual battles. Right? When they crossed the Jordan River, all the men were circumcised again. 
and they rested up and healed up. And then the first thing they had to face was Jericho, this walled city. It was God's will for them to fight these battles, right? Because in fighting these battles, you can just say, the battle's not yours, the battle is the Lord's. You're not winning the victory over, over Jericho. I am. When you shout, I'm going to cause the walls to come down. I've already put the terror of God in them. They're scared to death of you, Israelites. I've already done that. Put a fear in them. They're shaking in their boots. Who did that? God. He wanted them to fight these individual battles that they would learn not to trust in themselves but in God. They needed to grow. They needed to grow numerically, and they needed to grow spiritually in trust in God to possess the land. So I'm going to close with this. The question or the issue for you and me this morning is simply this. Can you fill it? Can you occupy it? Are you able to possess the land if God gives it to you? Well, I want our church to grow. I wish there was five times as many people. Well, so do I. I want, I want this, I want this, I want this in the Lord. And they're good things that we're, we're praying for. The question is, are you able to actually possess and occupy it if God gives it to you? If this church was five times bigger, could you be ministering to the people that were coming here? Could you, would you want to be taking them to, to lunch and seeing how they're doing and, and, and seeing how their children are, if their children know the Lord and picking them up when their car breaks down and so forth? Are we able to possess that if God gave it to us? We just, yes, they're good things. But my point is, we need, to, are you able to possess it individually if God gave it to you? If God poured out the gifts of the Spirit on your life, would you use them for His glory? Would you be arrogant with them? Would you be lazy with them and neglect them? Would you think somehow it's you that's doing it instead of God? Would you do, use them decently and in order? You understand what I'm saying? Are we mature enough to be able to handle Everything the Lord puts us through, there's, there's stretchings, is what I call it. It's painful. It's painful to be stretched and, and, and pulled out of our comfort zone and so forth. But all of it is to bring us to a, a place of spiritual power and maturity and development and growth and, and to occupy new ground. It's just growing up in the Lord is what it is. Growing up in the Lord. And God has chosen to bring us uh, through, through the furnace of affliction. Dee, you can come. I'm going to close with this last scripture. David. David said this twice, and uh, we read one, one of his psalms. This is Psalm 18, 17 through 19. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. You're going to face things that are too strong for you. You're going to face enemies and circumstances and situations and sicknesses and things that get the better of you. You, you, you're, you, you find, quickly find, I'm no match for this. Some rejection from, from a loved one, whatever. I'm no match for this. They were too strong for me. They permit, prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. All about him. I went through the trouble. I went through the trial. I have an enemy that is too strong for me, but he delighted in me. He delivered me. He set me in a large place. 
He's no respecter of persons. He does it for you. And he's going to do it for you and me. Last scripture. Y'all stand with me this morning. Y'all stand as I read this last Psalm 31. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities and has not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Enlargement, liberty, an open space. We're to grow to the point where we can fill it and occupy it. It's when we are, and the Lord knows we are, who will move us out of that and will possess some new spiritual ground. And then we'll be walking in that for a while, and we'll have some fightings and wrestlings and strugglings. Not misery. It's not depression. It's not joyless. It's because the Lord is with us. Amen. And he's already assured us of the victory. These altars are open. I want you to come this morning and meet with the Lord at these altars. There's tr troubles you're going through. The trials. Sometimes we go through troubles because of our own sin and we face the consequences. God will forgive us if we repent. But most of the times as we're walking with the Lord, we're going through adversity because God has seen fit that we go through adversity. Amen.